You're listening to the Arrowhead Live Podcast Network. Thank you, Kansas City. We did it, baby. What is going on, everybody? You are back on another edition of the Coach's Corner. This is Monday evening. We just got a chance to watch the Kansas City Chiefs get their 10th win of the year over the Tampa Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday, um, what just an incredible performance by Patrick Mahomes, by Tyreek Hill, and a game that the clo- the score was a lot closer than the game was, but w- what a thing to watch, Caleb. Dude, this is one of the, probably one of the more, inter- or one of the uh, more entertaining Chiefs games I think that I have been able to watch in a long time, and you know, We'd kind of been wondering when are they going to go back to hitting the deep shots. They made it very abundantly clear what they wanted to do, and I think we talked about this a little bit on the show. Tampa Bay is very young secondarious, and they really rely on their front seven defensively. Well, that's usually where you're going to struggle against a great player like Mahomes, and Tyree Kilt was cooking his man all day, and it was turned into an all-time performance for the Chiefs' offense. Mahomes finished 37 of 49. He had 462, three touchdowns, and Tyree Kill propelled himself to being the number one receiver in the NFL with 269 yards off 13 receptions and three touchdowns of his own, one being a 75-yard strike. Why do you think the Chiefs wanted to attack uh, Tampa Bay like that? Uh, I think we touched on a little bit in, in the in the preview of this one, and we knew that – Tampa Bay defense, their strong suit was against the run. They had um, some corners that were our younger corners, two year, second year guys, and then they also had Jamel Dean who was out. So they were they were down to a backup corner there. And I, I, I guess I was kind of shocked. I guess you know people have been talking about this, and we've kind of talked about it all year. Is you know w- what is your death? Do you want it the slow way or do you want it the quick way? Well, the Bucks chose it the quick way, right? They they put themselves in man coverage with no help over the top and that was just ball game we're pretty much right there the Chiefs came out and Tyreek was one-on-one and Mahomes took advantage of it um time and time again clearly I mean he was like seven catches for 200 yards and two touchdowns I think in like the first quarter it felt like or something like that so it was pretty wild to watch I it was the it was the correct game plan you know they were ready for it and and I thought that it was going to be a game that we saw Mahomes chuck it as many times as he did. You know, he ended up with 49 attempts in the game. And I, and I said going into it, I thought it was going to be 45 plus at least. So, and, and that's what it ended up being. And you know, just for reference, Mahomes was 37 of 49 for 462 in the three touchdowns. So just an incredible performance. And I, and I tweeted it out after the game, um, you know, a couple things. And I, and I said in the tweet, and I, I know I, I kind of, go on this rant every single week but I think I think Mahomes is even better than we even give it credit give him credit for and we go on and on and on about him and I know I specifically do and I talk to everybody about how good he is but in the moment I think it's so hard to appreciate how good he is but he he's just he's unbelievable week in and week out you know I think you're absolutely correct when you say that and I have a stat here that uh my other podcast I do Chiefs take 
uh, my buddy who I do that one with, he sent me this. This is something he took a picture off of from the NFL Network. Since 1950, here is the list of players to have the most career games with 400-plus passing yards and three-plus passing touchdowns with zero interceptions. Drew Brees has had nine in 284 career games. Tom Brady has five in 297. Peyton Manning has five in 266. Patrick Mahomes has four in 42. And then you've got Aaron Rodgers at 192 and Ben Roethlisberger with four of those in 228 games. I think that that should kind of put into perspective how good he is. The fact that he is almost halfway to this record mark and this list of all Hall of Fame quarterbacks, because every guy on that list I just named is a Hall of Famer. I don't think we're giving him enough credit. And, you know, I don't think people even realize what he's doing and how he's changing the game. But yesterday is going to go down as one of his all-time monster performances. And Tyree Kill, and uh, you and uh, you guys kind of got me on the daily fantasy train, so I tried that out for the first time. And uh, I'm looking pretty good now considering the fact that I chose Mahomes and Hill this week for those guys. But, uh, yeah, I just he's on a historical path to put up passing numbers and win championships. And right now, I don't think the MVP rate, it's not even a race anymore. It's over unless something spectacular were to happen. But the foot kind of football Mahomes has been playing the last few weeks has probably been the best we've seen of his entire career. Yeah, if you had Tyreek Hill and Pat Mahomes on your fantasy team um, for daily fantasy or just regular season long, you had a very good weekend, I'm imagining. Um, but, uh, yeah, the the MVP race is, is pretty much over, I would say, at this point, barring some something crazy really happening. You know, um, Mahomes is just – the month of November was just absurd. You know, over 1,000 yards passing just in that month alone – He's just been dominant this entire month, and it's something that we kind of talked about that teams were trying to slow him down by, you know, putting deep safeties out there, and they were, okay, we're going to adjust, and we're going to throw it underneath, and we're going to get the run game going a little bit, and then, you know, the second that they try to start switching around, well, good night, you know, thanks for playing, game over. We're we're, going to push the ball back down the field. We're going to take our shots if you give us one-on-one matchups. Here we are. And the, th- the crazy thing to even think about is that Mahomes did this stuff and his numbers could have been even better. And obviously everybody's going to remember the McCole Hardman, you know, Mahomes kind of threw it a little bit behind him. You know, it wasn't a great pass, but it did hit him right in the hands. Probably a catch that every NFL wide receiver would make. And I'm sure that they would tell you that. Um, but he also had, you know, just simple ones. He had a, a bubble screen to Tyree Kill called back because of an illegal shift, which was a Super questionable call. He had um, a deep third down completion to McCole Hardman for 20-something over the middle called back because of a holding call. So, I mean, his day, it could have been, you know, 550-plus with another touchdown. And, you know, they got down to the, the, the half-inch line and couldn't punch it in where he could have had a receiving touchdown on the, the Black Pearl, I guess they called it, what Mahomes and Kelsey said with when they ran that reverse pass. Um, and Kelsey, you know, tried to throw it to Mahomes. So his day could have been even bigger which is crazy. And that's what kind of give me, get me to my next uh, point here is that, you know, as chiefs fans, and I see seeing this a lot on Twitter and everybody talking about it, we're getting kind of spoiled here because the chiefs just be a team that everybody kind of thought was going to be a super bowl contender that has multiple hall of famers um, that is, you know, still has a winning record. Now they're not as good as everybody. I, I, I don't think anticipated, but still, 
per the DVOA, had one of the best defenses in the NFL, and they just tore them apart. Yes, it was a win by three points, but they won that in pretty dominating fashion, regardless of score. No, I agree with that a hundred and ten percent. And you know, I don't really think that it takes a whole lot of analysis to see that Andy Reid more or less kind of you know did what he did, but you know does what he does when they have a big lead on a team and he's confident they can win the game. He let off the gas a little bit. They started running some shorter pass routes. Now, even while we say this, you know, there was still tons of room for improvement in the game and of itself on the offensive side of the ball. But the one thing I did like to see at the end of the game was instead of just running time off the clock, they went to their little rollout play to close the game out. And Mahomes put a dart on Tyree Kill after he initially had to step up in the pocket to buy just a little bit more time. So I liked seeing that improvement late in the uh, two minute to uh, earn the offense to close the game the Chiefs had the ball with four minutes to close the game and they did a tremendous job of running of the clock all the way down I think that'll go down as underrated part of the game but that was nice to see but you know it's that thing though Andy Reid once he thinks he's got enough to beat you he's gonna probably lay off a little bit and save some of the tricks for later now if Hardman had caught that pass then the game would have been over much quicker but you know we've seen the Chiefs struggle before and like that four-minute offense, so I thought that was really awesome to see them succeed there, especially given the fact that we do not like seeing Tom Brady driving the ball down the field late on us. Yeah, that's what Reed said in his press conference. He said he's he's learned a long time ago that you don't leave you know time on the clock for Brady and give him the ball back. And I think that I think that the the one thing that I'll always say is let your your best players go win you games. And that last drive, they had multiple dropbacks where, you know, they said, all right, Pat, we're putting the ball in your hands. You're the best player in the world. Now go make every correct decision. And guess what? He did just that, right? He made every correct decision. When it wasn't there, he took off and ran. When it wasn't there, uh, you know, he threw a little dump off to Clyde Edwards-Alaire to keep the clock moving to, to you know, gain those two, two yards. And then, like you said, they sealed the deal with a little sprint out um, action. And even that play, everybody, you know – it looked simple. That's not, you know, it wasn't as easy as it looked. He's, he's sprinting out, gets cut off, has to, you know, cut up and in between, you know, where the lane was, where the defenders were, he's, you know, cuts up and gets his shoulder square and puts it right on Tyreek Hill for, for the completion, you know, and Tyreek just catches it, lays down first down, you know, ball game. But I, it's, it's just the part of the stuff that you see with Mahomes though, is that he makes those things, looks so easy, right? It's the football IQ that he's just so smart that he understands, all right, I'm running for a first down here late in the game. I'm going to get as many as I can, get the first down. I'm going to slide. I'm going to stay in bounds. The clock's going to keep moving, right? I'm not going to force anything. I'm going to get out of the pocket. You can even see on the one scramble that he scrambles first down for a first down when he runs it. Um, he does, he did his little peek backwards to make sure that nobody was on his heels again, too. Um, as soon as he saw that he was clear of Indom Kinsu, put the ball in your left hand, you know, it's on your outside hand. He just, he just does so many little things within the play and within a game that is just at such a high level. It, it's, it just, it blows my mind. Um, it really does. He's just so good at everything that he does. And it's so special to be able to watch that. I hope, I hope that we, we as Chiefs fans and as, and if you're a football fan, you should appreciate it. You know, we don't take it for granted and we get to continue to watch him do this for, you know, like the 10 year plus contract that he just got. He's so good for the game of football and so good for growing the game of football even more and more just because, I mean, 
we really haven't ever seen a player like him. I mean, there's guys that are going to be close to him that have been where he's at before, but we just have to appreciate the greatness we're seeing. Now, I personally think this is this month of November. I think this is the best football we have ever seen him play, whether it be just like going in and just tearing teams up and putting up these monster numbers. But you know who else doesn't get the credit that they quite deserve? Tyree Kill. And I want to get into that because for years, Tyree Kill just had people say, well, he's just fast. He's just He's leading the league in receiving yards, and he was like number 17th headed into yesterday in that category. And by the way, number two is Travis Kelsey. So when you have the best quarterback and the best receiver and the best tight end, things are going to do well. But, you know, we've seen the evolution of Hill. We've always known he could be a burner. We've always known that when the teams get into that single high safety and they play man defense, that's when the Chiefs want to take their shots. But since we've seen teams since the first game against the Raiders, We've seen teams change up how they want to try to play the Chiefs, and all he's done in that time is evolve into more of an underneath route runner. He's gotten even better at just running more technical routes, those over routes, little quick hitches and crossers, and he really has been the complete package for the Chiefs this year. And I think it's funny because as people are starting to – I think people are just now starting to realize just how special Mahomes is. I think at the same time people are outside of Kansas City – are starting to realize that Tyree Kill should never be questioned whether he is a top three receiver in the NFL or not, regardless of maybe he's not your prototypical body type or what people think of as their go-to receiver. But he really does it all, and I think he is one of the main catalysts that makes the Chiefs offense tick the way that it does. He is for sure, and like you said, every the 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 thing with Hill always was he's a speed guy, he's a gadget guy. Well, I think he kind of put that to rest, you know, in, in the past few years that you know he's not that guy. He can do a lot more than just the the jet sweeps and the gadget plays and run really fast by everybody. Um, now he's a guy that's a great route runner, but what has really kind of separated him and where he is arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um, certainly top three, if not the best, is he runs every single route. He has the one of the highest, if not the highest, contested catch rate in the NFL at this point, and he's just super reliable. You saw when the game was on the line and they had to see the seal the deal, what did they do? They run a little rub route, pick route, sprint out pass to to Tyree Kill to seal the game. Um, you know, the contested catch thing is too, to me, is just so crazy to watch. He He, even in this last game, He's going down the left sidelines there where they're running their little RPO action and he's running like a little uh, wheel route to clear out space and Mahomes throws it up to him because there's, you know, he takes that whole shot that, that he had, goes up as he catches it, he gets popped, stays on his feet, keeps two feet in bounds, and, you know, it's a big chunk play. Uh, it's one of the most underrated aspects of his game. And he's, I mean, he's arguably, and especially for a guy, with his stature, he's not, you know, he's not Julio Jones. He's not six foot two out there. He's not one of these monster receivers. He's, he's under a six foot, under six feet tall, probably five ten, five eleven at best. Um, and the way he can go up and catch the football and not only catch it, but catch it while he's getting hit. And while guys are draped all over him, it's just such a, such a incredible aspect of his game that doesn't get talked about enough because Everybody sees the acceleration and the burst in the in the in the speed, which is obviously unbelievable. But he he is, like you said, way more than that. Um, 
you know, if we keep moving on here, because we've got a lot to get to here in this show, let, let's talk a little bit about the offensive line. It was another game where I thought they started out pretty decently. We knew that they were going to have their struggles running the football. The, the Bucs are set up to stop the run. They've done it all year. They only, they, you know, they hold the teams to like 60 or 70 yards rushing a game, which is best in the NFL. But they definitely, the Chiefs O-line definitely started to struggle a little bit. You could see that they allowed a few hits on Mahomes. Um, that's something that obviously is a little concerning. And then we'll kind of piggyback that with the other side, the other defensive line, another game where not a ton of pressure, um, especially just from the front four. They basically have not been able to get home with the front four, it seems like, in a month. And I'm not sure what's going on there. But moving forward, they're definitely going to have to be better along both the offensive and defensive lines. Well, here's my take for the offensive line, and I'll get more into the defensive line stuff here in a little bit. But I'm just looking at like some of the Chiefs' rushing numbers. Obviously, they didn't really try to establish too much of a run game today. Uh, Clyde had like 37 yards on 11 carries. He was averaging under four. Le'Veon Bell had five carries for 22 yards. He was averaging four and a half. And Mahomes was sacked twice, and one of those was the big strip sack as the Chiefs were actually headed in to get more points, which I believe would have been another scoring drive that they could have easily gone up and won the game by even more. It's just the interior is still struggling, and they've start they start they've started out games good, but we've yet to really see them finish. Because even if you remember last week. They started out pretty well, and they were actually able to really effectively run the ball against the Raiders because the Raiders, I don't think, really cared about it too much. But the inside play is so inconsistent. And, you know, Eric Fisher, I believe he got beat again on the outside for another sack at one point. But between Wiley and uh, Allegretti and Ryder, they've got to get something figured out. And I'm mainly looking at a guy like, Wiley and Ryder seem to be the usual suspects to me. And, you know, we I had a feeling coming into this week that it was going to be one of those situations because they have good players along their defensive front. Uh, Shaq Barrett's an excellent pass rusher. Jason Pierre-Paul and Imdonikin Sue, older guys, and uh, the Chiefs' old player, uh, our old nose tackle, uh, Rakeem Nunez-Roaches. He, uh, Yeah, that's, that's a solid unit up front, and I think the Chiefs kind of knew that – on these long passes to Mahomes, they are going to have to protect extra long. But, you know, as the game went on, Tampa Bay started getting more desperate. And, you know, their secondary is not good enough to lay back and just play Mahomes kind of how some other teams are. So they really had to try to crank up and dial up the pressure. But fortunately, that's where we get to see Mahomes oftentimes strive. So I was excited to see that. I still think Eric Fisher's playing okay, even though he gave up a sack. Um, I was talking to a uh, to a uh, guy on Twitter named Brett Yaris. He works for Pro Football Network. You should give him a chat, or you guys should give him a follow when you can. The reason for this, though, is he posted about a 10-minute-long video of him working out with uh, rookie Lucas Nyong, who opted out of the season due to COVID-19. But he's, he was telling me, but Nyong is looking good, and the Chiefs really do expect Nyong to be able to come in and play next year. And he said that he's probably one of the most incredibly hardworking offensive linemen he's ever seen. And he said he gave him like a quick comparison to like a Laramie Tunsil type player or a player like that who's really athletic in his set. 
and can set you in different ways with uh, whether it be like a quick set or just like a traditional pass pass blocking type set. So that'll be interesting to see him in there next year. I know all the Chiefs are looking forward to that. There's no word on Mitch Schwartz right now. And, you know, um, I think it's kind of a telling sign that we're starting to hear these things about uh, about Lucas Nyong with uh, Mitch Schwartz being out with his back injury for so long. That'll be something to keep an eye on. Obviously, we'd love to get Schwartz back for the home run. It's not looking like it could happen right now. Maybe we'll get to see some Stefan Wisniewski action here in some of these games moving on. I think that'll be interesting. What What is kind of your takeaway from the offensive line before we get into the defensive line stuff? Because I have a few things to say when we get into the defensive line portion. My, my biggest thing right now is, like, yeah, like you mentioned, like the Schwartz thing, he's on IR. He's got at least two more weeks on that. So he, he's not coming back for that long at least. Um, right now, I think that the worst offensive line, lineman on, on the Chiefs starting unit is Andrew Wiley, and it's by a considerable margin. He was abused yesterday by Ndamukong Sue, amongst others, on multiple plays in the run and in the pass game, and he's just got to be better. Like To me, I, I think that if you get – Rankin is a guy that we've been calling for all year. We have we weren't sure what was going on with him, but if, if he is – as soon as he's all the way healthy, he's got to be in there, and hey, he has to get a chance to to compete at the right guard position. Because um, Wiley's just been so bad; he's just he's he's not performed well at all, and it, it's a, it's unfortunate. And you know, the thing with that is, I don't think they were really expecting him to be the guy, right? You had LDT, you had Kalecio Semele, you had Lucas Nyang. All these guys are supposed to be competing for at least the starting interior position. And they're not there now. So you're playing with backups, basically. You're playing with Allegretti, who's basically a third string guy, and you're playing with Wiley, who's a backup. Um, you know, you got Mike, Mike Remmers. Remmers, who's a backup. Mike Remmers, yeah, Remmers was supposed to be the backup guard. Well, really, utility lineman, but he he was more of a backup guard, and now he's playing and starting at right tackle before. And that's the that's the other thing that's so remarkable remarkable remarkable, excuse me, about this offense is the fact that they're doing this with pretty much an entire backup offensive line. Like they haven't had a starting unit the entire year um, of what should be a, their starting unit. So I, I want to see Rankin in there. I want to see him healthy. Um, he was, you know, like I said, very good in his time before his injury last year. So I'll be interested to see if when he gets healthy, if he does get a chance, because I think it was pretty evident yesterday that the interior was struggling, but I guess we'll see what happens, you know, with the health and, and whether they get them in there. Um, but let's let's go on to the defensive line, and I'll, I'll kick it right back to you because I know you got thoughts on that. Yeah, and just touching back for one second, I hope Martinez Rankin comes back healthy because he could really be a piece that could elevate the Chiefs team headed into the playoffs. And also knowing Steven Wisniewski is a, just a gritty type of guy, I would like to see him – maybe get a shot in these closing weeks to audition back for the job headed into the stretch run. But now I'm going to get into the defensive line. And what really is so bothersome about this, there is really not a lot the Chiefs defense can do that like makes me mad. And I know everyone gets mad about their own things. I know who Ben Neiman is. It doesn't bother me anymore when I watch him mess up. I'm over it because I know I expect him to mess up at this point. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and like Dan Sorensen misses a tackle, and you know, I, you know what I say every time Sorensen messes up? 
we're all really mad at him now. In, in like three weeks, he'll make the biggest play of the game and probably save the season or something like that. So that doesn't bother me. It doesn't even bother me seeing like our better, some of our secondary guys get beat, you know, Breland and Ward. That doesn't really bother me too much either because those are guys who they brought in for very cheap on very good contracts and they have out exceeded any expectations I think a lot of people ever had for them. Where I start to get a little frustrated is when we have around $200 million locked up between two players and they just cannot perform. And the and since the month of November has started, Chris Jones and Frank Clark have struggled. And I don't really think anybody saw this coming because for the first few weeks of the season, those two looked absolutely dominant next to one another. And I thought they were both on pace for double-digit sack seasons as we're headed into this and now as we're headed into the home stretch of the season, you know, they got absolutely shut out and, you know, it started versus Carolina, you know, I mean, it started in the Carolina game. They really didn't get too much. They each had one sack, but they were more effort sacks or pressure sacks. And, you know, then they got nothing really against the Raiders. And for the second straight week, I know Tampa Bay has really talented offensive linemen. I know Tampa Bay has, um, uh, they, I mean, they have a solid crew all the way across. They got Tristan Wirfs, who I think is the best rookie, right? Who's the best rookie tackle in football? Uh, Ryan Jensen, Ollie Barpet. So they have some really, they have some dudes along that line. But it's just frustrating to know that the Chiefs are relying on Jones and Clark to create pressure, and they just can't get it done. So people are like, well, now the Chiefs are starting to blitz too much. I think the reason Steve Spagnuolo is blitzing is because this defense we have really predicates around pressuring the quarterback, really going after and doing stuff like that. And it's hard when your only pass rush production all day is coming from Alex Okafor and Mike Dana. Alex Okafor is just a complimentary guy. And, you know, Mike Dana, he's a run stuffer, and he's out here to play on rundowns. And, you know, he's I like Mike Dana. He's got a, he's got a big motor. He plays hard every time he's out there. Smart football player. He's just not a great natural pass rusher. Frank Clark has been non-existent for the last two weeks. I think he's almost been shut out. At least this week, though, Chris Jones was able to get to the quarterback. I don't think Chris Jones played nearly as bad this week as people think he did. I think he still had two quarterback hits, and he was still creating some sort of disruption back there. But for Chris Jones to really hit his full potential, he needs Frank Clark to start winning some of his one-on-one matchups so that they can start trying to get Chris Jones more one-on-one matchups because, you know, right now teams are just content to let their tackles block up Clark and just do whatever to him because so that they can leave guys on the interior that can have multiple guys ready to be able to block Jones depending on their slide protection calls. But it's really something they have to get figured out. And I'm not trying to rant too long on it because I know there's a lot of other things on defense to talk about that we need to get to. But that $200 million locked up into them, I think maybe – you and I were two of the first people that pointed that out when people talk about the defense struggling. We can't have guys struggling that are making a giant significant portion of the cap like that. So where where do you stand on all where do you stand on all of that? Pretty much the same exact spot you do, right? It, it, you pay these guys 20 million plus a year and there's been such a lack of production and QB hits are great and pressure is great and you need those things, but there has to be sacks along with it. Frank Clark has one sack in the last seven games that they've played. That's, I mean, that is not the type of production that a $20 million a year player makes. Just, 
that's plain and simple. Um, you have to be more productive if you're going to get paid that much money. Like you said, I want to see him win a one-on-one battle. I can't remember the last time he won a one-on-one battle in a game and actually got a sack on somebody. It's It's been crazy. Uh, I, I want to see more out of Jones. And I, like you, I don't think he played a terrible game, um, but I, don't, I certainly don't think it was a great one. Uh, I think that they tried to move him around a little bit too. He played some defensive end and he got defensive end snaps to try to generate some pressure um, in that. And if you go follow Brandon Thorne on, on Twitter, he does an outstanding job with offensive and defensive line play. He put up some clips of Chris Jones doing, you know, his thing on the edge against Tristan Wharfs once. And then, but he also the showed chop. Um, Ryan. Yeah. He showed the, the little cross chop, the rip, you know, slap the rip and rip underneath the slap and rip. And he also showed Ryan Jensen just mulling the entire interior off a uh, defensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs. So not not great up front by any stretch of the imagination. They need to get better there. Um, I, I think that they will. I think they have to. If they don't, that you know, you get in the playoffs, you don't get extra chances, right? You don't. Everything is ramped up. Every mistake is magnified. Every time you don't get to the quarterback, and you know Brady goes down and completes, <laughs> you know those passes, and they get late scores. Those things are amplified. You can't rely on Mahomes to drag the team along, kicking and screaming every single week. Um, eventually, it will c- catch up to you. I mean, at least statistically the odds say that it should i mean it hasn't really exactly quite yet uh but we we will see that i guess um you know along the defensive side of the ball too on the positive note i think legerius sneed is an absolute stud he he is back from injury they're moving him around he's playing yes <laughs> he's dude he is so good it was such a good pick by beach he really they have kind of playing all over He's played in the slot in nickel packages. He's back on the outside some in different dime type packages. You know, he can move and play safety a little bit. You see him inserting into the box and making tackles. He He's an absolute fine and somebody that I um, think that is going to be an absolute staple on this, that defensive side of the ball for years to come. He's only going to continue to get better. I mean, it's, it's really cr- crazy to think of how well he was playing before he got injured and then missed all that time and came back and he's already playing so well. Like they're starting them to get more <laughs> into the defense and playing different positions and finding spots to put him on the field. Um, but he's, he's been awesome. He's been absolutely awesome for them. Yeah, dude, he's, he's going to be a stud. And I think that just, I don't know. I've seen some people criticizing Brett Veach lately. Why? Why? Because we legitimately now have a guy that could be a corner his entire career for the Chiefs and be that missing corner that we've been so desperately searching for for years now, for years now, and now we finally have him. I'll be honest. I thought the cornerbacks played a good game. I mean, Ward, there might I don't know what the deal with Ward and uh, – Oh, Armani Watts was on that one touchdown, and then Breland gave up a touchdown. Breland also got a big-time interception, and, you know, I think they really matched up pretty well against some of the talent that they have down there in Tampa Bay, so that's always nice to see. I just think that Snead's athletic ability and his instincts right now are, and also his football IQ, put all that together, and that's why they're able to put a young, fairly inexperienced player out there immediately and, you know, I remember back early in the season, we were kind of nervous. We're like, oh, man, we might have to roll with Ward or Fenton and like a second year dude, a rookie and Ward for a while while uh, Breland was on his uh, 
Breland was on his little leave of absence, but I, it's very apparent that there was no panic from Steve Spagnola, Andy Reader, Brett Beach when it came time to tell Legereus Sneed it's time to play. I predict if he'd stayed healthy, he'd be in the conversation for defensive rookie of the year right now. He was outstanding. He was awesome. And, you know, I thought the secondary, you know, they gave up some yards and garbage time. I thought they really turned around their performance from a week ago, which is, I think is a little bit surprising, but I think they came out locked in. I was really excited to see Tyron Matthew kind of get some of his swagger back after struggling last week. And, you know, I, I think Charvarius Ward is also starting to get some of his swagger back. So seeing those guys start playing more confident again makes me happy. You know who else I thought, not a secondary player, but he, again, for about probably the fifth or sixth straight week now, played a good football game. Anthony Hitchens, again, played a good football game. And I have the numbers here for him. He had seven total tackles and that big TFL along with two quarterback hits on the game. I thought he had a good one, but there was also another linebacker that didn't play a whole lot. And I'll let you get into that here in just a minute, I guess. Yep, the uh, Willie Gay saga continues, and it is <laughs> I, at this point. I don't even, I don't even know really what to say. Um, there, I mean, there's got to be something going on in practice that he just doesn't understand the scheme. He's just can't pick it up, or I, I, I don't know. I don't really have an explanation. I really don't. He played one snap, one in this last game. I just it blows my mind in a, in a game where you need guys to be able to be athletic and run and cover in space where they're throwing Rob Gronkowski is having over 100 yards receiving the touchdown pass to Ronald Jones in the flats. Um, Damian Wilson just he just got flat out, out outrun right he couldn't he couldn't get there. I why he's not on the field. I, I really wish I had an explanation, but I don't. I mean, w- the only thing I can think of is that he really he he just does not understand what's going on in practice, so they can't put him on the field. But even that, just let him be an athlete. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? I, I don't know. Well, you know, this week in one of the columns that I do for Arrowhead Live, I specifically focused on Willie Gay's play versus the Raiders because he had a really good game versus the Raiders. He didn't blow up the box score. And he didn't have any highlight real plays, but what you were seeing out of him last week was like good high IQ football that like an NFL player should be able to make. And he saved a couple of play of big plays, honestly. And so uh, looking back on that, I'm like, you know, this could be the perfect week for him to go in and start getting to play more. Cause I'm like, well, they got Ronald Jones and these talented receivers. I'm like, this could maybe be the week. And then we go, I'm ba- I'm just as baffled as you are. Um, a theory that I have, me and a couple other people who I'm friends with have been concocting about it is maybe Steve Spagnola is still just unsure about what kind of personnel he has to use Willie Gay in, which, you know, we all know Spags is a big, different personnel, different kind of scheme guy. I would have to say that if you have a player as talented as Gay and who went out last week in a game that was – I mean, in a game last week, like against the Raiders and you know, on a big time game, he played that well. Like, how is he not consistently earning more time? How does he go from snapping out at over 30 snaps a week ago and really looking like he's getting ready to take over to being back in just this special teams role, getting one snap a game? It's absolutely baffling to me. I mean, 
maybe Willie Gay's not understanding something. Maybe Steve Spagnola isn't quite found the way to use him yet the way they want to. I don't know. It's just it's 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 getting bizarre at this point, honestly. Like I just I think that's probably the biggest question in Kansas City right now, and probably one of the biggest questions in all of football because you know a li- a good linebacker like will a guy that can be like Willie Gay and have the things to do he can do. That could help every aspect of the defense so much more. And, you know, to see a rookie like Legereus Sneed excelling when he's on the field and then to see them keep playing these, like, it almost seems like they're playing games with Willie Gay. I don't know. But to see Sneed excelling and to see Gay, you know, just like every time he's on the field, he seems to do something right or he seems to flash and they still don't want to play more. I don't know. It's It baffles me, to say the least. I don't know. Do you think it's because of like the contract situations where they've paid, you know, Damon Wilson and they've paid Anthony Hitchens that they're like, all right, we kind of are contractually obligated to play these guys. I mean, I hope that's not the case because I mean, that's what bad, you know, franchises do is you, you make mistakes and then you compound them by not fixing the mistakes. Because I, like you said, when, when Gay's on the field, he makes plays, he's athletic, he flies around, he makes tackles. Um, he's in the correct, you know, when he's in zone coverage, he's in the correct drops and he closes and makes tackles on people in space. I, I just, like you said, it is baffling. It is really baffling. Yeah. Um, well, we're not giving Damian Wilson that much at all to be contracted, obli- contractually obligated to do anything. And to be honest with you right now, for the first time in his entire time as a chief, I'd say Anthony Hitchens is probably living up to the money that they've paid him. Now that probably doesn't make up for the last two seasons by any stretch of the imagination, even though one of those was with Bob Sutton, but he's playing good football right now. So I'd want to have Hitchens on the field, whether it just be for his leadership qualities or him just, you know, starting to really play good football for the chiefs and Spags starting to utilize him. Well, but man, if they were doing that for contractual reasons, then why are they, why was Ben Neiman in so much early in the season? Cause I know he's probably on the bare minimum. So it's just, it's, it's wild, isn't it? Yeah, wild is a very, very good word for it. I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully, we get to see see more from here down the stretch because um, we are heading into this, you know, last kind of third of the season, and it's something where if he's not getting reps, you know, in these next few weeks and not playing significant snaps, you're certainly not going to just all the automatically all of a sudden see him, you know, in in the playoffs. That is for sure. And then the other guy who was supposedly on a, you know, rotation, he was a situational player, um, was Juan Thornhill. And he actually ended up playing, I think, 49 snaps I saw, um, which was, you know, almost 70% of the defensive snaps. Now, Tampa Bay was obviously in a situation where they were down and having to throw most of the game. So if he's in those types of packages, he is going to be on the field more. Do you think that moving forward, he is just going to be, they're just going to try to keep him in a situational role. And then, you know, when they get to the playoffs, maybe he's back in that full-time starting role. Or is it something where they think that Dan Sorensen is just outplaying him at this point? Because the, the truth of the matter is, too, is that generally speaking, this injury that he is coming back for, it usually takes a full year before a player's full explosion and, and burst and everything is all the way back. Now, he you could see him starting to get there. In, in these earlier weeks, but he certainly, I don't think still is, is 100% back all the way yet. No, I don't think he's a hundred percent all the way back. And, you know, I think getting as much football out as they 
as much football out of him as they have been able to this season has been a definite a definite positive. But, you know, Sorensen, he had a few weeks there where he was playing really well, but now he's kind of reverting back to himself. And Sorensen, I like him. I mean, we all do, but he's I think he's a lot better off as being a designated like the designated specialist guy that will come in and just be like the third safety. Now I'd say a lot of it probably has to do with, they probably think that Thornhill has a chance to have a tremendous career the rest of his time for the chiefs. So they probably rather be safe than sorry. And, you know, he's gotten beat a few times and lost a few reps, but he's probably just not quite got the confidence back in his ability to be able to cut and make those movements. You have to be able to make as a defensive back. So that'd be an interesting situation to monitor moving forward. I think that he'll probably hit his stride here in the next few weeks or so, and we'll see him back out there for the playoffs, though. Yeah, I think that you're right. We'll we'll see him more and more and more, and that is obviously the hope because he's just one of those guys that's such an impactful player when he is fully healthy and, and ready to go, and that's kind of what I'm hoping here um, we'll see down the stretch is kind of like, what happened last year with the defense where they were kind of finding their footing and figuring stuff out. And then it got to be towards the last, you know, one third of the season, last quarter of the season. And they really stepped it up and they gelled as a unit and they kind of figured where everybody fit and where every piece kind of fit in together. And, you know, they made the run and played outstanding down the stretch. And, and the truth is too, is the defenses in general this year have not been as good as in years past. So, and I think a lot of that is obviously the limited practice time, all the, the situations surrounding COVID and everything. But um, the, in speaking about COVID, a team that certainly had a pretty bad stretch of luck with that is the Denver Broncos, who the Chiefs play next week or this coming week, I should say, on Sunday night football, where they had no starting quarterback um, for their game against the Saints in a practice wide, practice squad wide receiver, Kentel Hinton actually ended up playing quarterback from them and as advertised was not good. Um, and it's no fault of his own. Uh, it's just, <laughs> he was a practice squad wide receiver. He barely played quarterback in college. He played a little bit at Vanderbilt, but couldn't do anything there. This is a game. Chiefs are already 13 and a half point favorites per Vegas. Um, and they should be there. They, this is a, this is a game that they should go in. They need to be able to take care of business and just get out of there safe, get out of there healthy, and that's really it. I mean, they don't, they shouldn't have really any 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 issues with them. I don't think it should be a, a blowout, really. Yeah, it should be very reminiscent of the first time the Chiefs played the Broncos. There's no reason it should be close. It could be a very good get right week for the defensive line. I think if they really want it to be because Chris Jones and uh, he tore up that young defensive he tore up that young Denver offensive line. And we've seen Frank Clark historically play well versus the Broncos. So I think this could be a get right game for them. I expect the chiefs to come out and probably try to keep taking deep shots, but then, you know, I expect them to be up big and then be time for some of that hen dog at the end of the game. But I don't think it's going to be much of a game prime time at Arrowhead. I've been contemplating, getting tickets to it, which trying to buy tickets to things during the COVID-19 pandemic is kind of nerve wracking because you never know. And I think we would be off if we didn't discuss just a little bit the situation around the league and the absolute jumbled mess that is 
the Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Both of those teams were supposed to play on Thanksgiving evening. Then the game was pushed back to uh, Tuesday. Now it's being repostponed again until Wednesday, which at this point it's pretty much just jeopardizing the uh, each of those teams' games for the following week also. So this is kind of interesting, but it's not just one team that's having a bad outbreak. It's both of the teams are having outbreaks, you said. I think you did a little bit more reading up on it than I did headed into it. But the whole situation with the pandemic and the country as a whole is starting to be shown in the NFL because, you know, nationally cases are rising. So it only makes sense that cases are going to continue to rise in the National Football League as well. Exactly. I mean, cases are up everywhere. Uh, It makes sense that the cases are up in the NFL, unfortunately. I think that right now, I mean, man, you got to be as vigilant as you can as a group, uh, as an organization, as a franchise. Um, You know, I work, you know, we both do for for another site. And a couple of the topics that we're going to be writing about this week over there is is going to be why every team in the NFL should have a quarantine quarterback. So I don't know if you've seen a couple teams out there who are basically paying quarterbacks to sit home in quarantine. They're, they, they're not around the facility. I know the Bills have done it. The Eagles have done it. A couple other ones. Um, they pay them to, so they don't have a situation like the Broncos had, right? You don't want to have every quarterback in your quarterback room all of a sudden be in close, close contact or test positive because then that that's what happens. Now you're, now you're out all four quarterbacks and you're starting to practice squad wide receiver. Um, I also think that the NFL needs to start looking into and preparing a two different bubbles for the playoffs. They need to have an AFC bubble and they need to have an NFC bubble. Um, so when the playoffs start, you you make it happen. I, I don't know how, but that's why you got to start doing it now. Uh, in, in my opinion, um, the NBA was able to get it done. You know, obviously it's a lot on a smaller scale, but there's got to be places in Florida and Texas with high schools, you know, with being able to have practice facilities, um, hotels, all that kind of stuff that are close enough together where you can create it and you can get these guys where they're just seeing the team and that's it. They're not going out, you know, and it, it'll suck, but it is what it is. It's, it'll end up being like what, six weeks, six weeks for the playoffs because you, you don't want to get into a situation where all of a sudden now we're three quarters way through the season and you have to cancel it because there's a, there's a you know really bad outbreak and now you're going into the playoffs and, and what the heck do you do? You have all the starting quarterbacks not in the game for the playoffs? That ain't going to work. No, and don't the Chiefs, don't we have Matt Moore as our like designated load survivor or something like that if there is a massive outbreak within the Chiefs quarterbacks because – Right now, if I am the Chiefs and it's not Matt Moore already, we are paying him to sit on his couch and do whatever it does, Matt Moore has to do to get ready. So hopefully they can get that done. I love the idea of a bubble for the playoffs. I just don't like it because the Chiefs wouldn't be able to have any home playoff games. And I always love seeing the – I've loved last year, last two years, seeing all those big-time games at Arrowhead. But it is a pandemic, like you said. And, you know, one of the things that I like, though, being a, an individual who is a health professional who is getting ready to be entering the workforce as a health professional during a pandemic, one of the things I do like is in the last few weeks, I've seen the Kansas City Chiefs, I think, have been making more of a collective effort to wear their masks when they are on the sideline and not out there actually playing. Because a lot of the research 
that I've read that some of the head NFL doctors do. And it's kind of some stuff that has been started to be seen around the league in general. Uh, COVID doesn't really spread when the guys are out there playing just because it was, it sounds crazy to say that, but COVID has a really hard time spreading outdoors. But most of the times when we see these outbreaks is either going to be like when guys are standing around talking for too long after the game or it's going to be like in a locker room setting, kind of that enclosed space where everyone's right next to each other. The Chiefs have handled their their COVID situation about as well as any team in the NFL. I'm going to knock on wood for that. But I think we're starting to see it creep into some of the teams that maybe have not been as vigil with it or vigilant with it. And, you know, now you said you said the Steelers and players might Steelers and Ravens players might be thinking about protesting the game. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I guess it came up. I think it was uh, I can't even remember. Maybe Florio, which is I guess take it for what it's worth um, on that. But they said that you know now the game is moved to Wednesday. But they talked about that if the game was played on Tuesday night, you know we're recording this Monday evening. So if the game was played on a, that Tuesday night, depending on when you listen to this, um, players talked about potentially boycotting it because of their safety issues, and they they were unsure of how it was all going to go uh, with the, with the amount of positives that both sides have had. Um, they just didn't know if it was going to be safe for them to be able to play. And, you know, if that happens, then you got, you have the NFL PA stepping in, you have, you know, the, that side of it coming in. And then you start worrying about those sides and, and contract negotiations moving forward. Um, really, really tough and sticky situation because obviously you want the players and everybody in the organization to be healthy. This, this virus is nothing to mess with. I mean, everybody worries about death rates, but it's not just death rates. You know, it's it's a lot of these people that are <laughs> developing just crazy random side effects from it. Um, you know, healthy individuals with the, with this, you know, the swelling of the heart disease. Um, I saw some 23-year-old had a stroke because of it, like a healthy 23-year-old individual. These things, it's nothing to mess with, right? It's not a disease that you want to get and it hits people differently. So some people could be fine, some people not. So I don't get people, I don't, I don't, blame people for being reluctant about going out there knowing that there's this outbreak amongst these two organizations and saying, you know what, maybe we shouldn't play. Like maybe we should see what we can do and not, not have to do this. So, um, but yeah, when, in terms of just, you look at it from a business standpoint, man, oh man, if, if you've got two teams boycotting because of safety and health related issues, that is definitely a road that the NFL doesn't want to go down with, with the whole situation there. Yeah, dude, they got to get something figured out because I think I just have a feeling from like working this stuff and studying it all year pretty much since it started. It kind of looks like we're about to be back on the uptick of having massive cases with hospitals starting to fill up. So everyone out there really needs to do a great job of taking care of yourself and staying healthy and making sure all your family and loved ones are doing also. And let's just hope that all these NFL teams and especially our Chiefs are doing a great job of just being vigilant with it and trying to be as safe as possible. You know, I know we kind of had that little down period of time in COVID once it, once we got into the middle of summer. And I think a lot of people and teams probably started losing their, uh, they probably started losing focus on it. Well, they can't lose focus on it, especially right now because we're almost at the finish line. What to work. I was thinking about a possible bubble though. I think that what they should look into doing it. And as crazy as it sounds, I know if they go to Las Vegas, there's a lot of bad things that can go on in the Sin City, but there, as far as enough hotel rooms, 
Yeah, and as far as like a nice enough stadium to play in, there's that. So yeah, and uh, I'd say another place they would have to look into would probably be I would say maybe like Arizona or Dallas, maybe or even just like a places where they can like even like some college campuses. There's gonna be some colleges that probably don't reopen for their fall semester if they try to go to a college campus and get it done. So I think that'll all be interesting to see in the future, though. Yeah, I mean, the college thing, too, is you got to think about by the time the Super Bowl comes along, a lot of these campuses are going to be empty anyways because they're going to be on winter break. You know, the Super Bowl is around February, so a lot of these schools are maybe just starting to come back or they're just not even there yet or they're going to be going remote depending on what's going on. So I I don't think that's a terrible idea, and that's why I kind of threw Texas and Florida out there because a lot of these high school stadiums are as big as, you know, some of these college stadiums. Um, and And the big concern, obviously, they're going to be able to figure out you know, the different hotels and food and they can get all that stuff. The big thing I think that you worry about with the NFL is practice, <laughs> practice space. Um, and, and that, you know, and obviously then you got the, the worry of, Hey, um, you know, the Patriots are two fields down from me and, and Belichick's, you know, standing up on the ladder and looking at our field and not his, like he's cheating again. Like, so you'd, you'd probably get, uh, you know, all that cases and stuff. And the NFL is the biggest with, you know, keep trying to keep secrets and, and not let people see what they do. So I think that's what you'd have to worry about a lot too, is during practices, making sure they're closed down and not having anybody around. But I just think in the environment that we're in right now, you have to tend to try to do something. And that's why I say, start doing it now, have a plan in place. If this, if it gets worse, I mean, look at what's happening with the 49ers. 49ers aren't even allowed to play at their home stadium for the next two weeks. So you got to start coming up with plans now in, in in a worst case scenario type situation. So I would definitely have something ready to go if I was the NFL and I'd let the people know that, Hey, we got something ready to go because it seems like now some of the times they're just kind of flying off the seat of their pants and going with whatever. But why don't we get out of here, Caleb? We've had a nice long show and we've had a lot to talk about. Um, but before we do tell everybody where they can find you. All right, y'all can find me on Twitter as always at CJ Scoobs. Um, I uh, I'm doing some moving this week, so I'm not going to be as active on Twitter as I'd like to normally be, and that's just because I'm not going to have as much time as I normally do. So, but I'll try to get at least one or two good articles out. And once the All Twenty Two is up, which I think it probably just dropped, I always put those good clips on. Y'all can check that out everywhere that you can find Arrowhead Live on Twitter. And uh, go check out my other Chiefs, uh, my other Chiefs podcast I do. That one is much more informal than this one is. Justin and I keep it pretty formal on here as much as we can. But the other one is basically just a, as a phone call between me and one of my friends most of the time that we decided to record because we thought it would be fun. So y'all should go check that out at Chiefs Take over with Border Fuel. Justin, I'll let you go ahead and finish the show up. Uh, keep wearing your masks, everybody. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at jdiz1617. Um, you know, last week I was able to get some time to tweet out some some of the plays that kind of stood out for me from the last game. I'm going to try to do the same against um, this week against the Bucks and kind of what stood out for me. Um, all like Caleb, I'm over on Border Fuel Sports as well. Do a podcast called Balling Over Beers. It's all about sports betting, DraftKings, DFS, season long fantasy. So if you're into that, make sure you're checking that out. We have a good time with that, and then. Uh, you know, if you want to see the the Chiefs win another Super Bowl, wear your mask. Like we've talked about it here quite a bit, and Caleb's mentioned it already 
quite a few times. Wear your mask. I want to see Mahomes hoist another one, man. I, I don't want the season to, to get pushed to the wayside and have an asterisk next to it. Um, I want to, I want another Lombardi trophy in Kansas City, and I think the Chiefs are well on their way to doing so. Uh, but we appreciate everybody being here. Make sure you're going over to Arrowhead Live. Check out all the other podcasts, all the other content that we got coming out for you. We appreciate you being here, and we'll talk to you next time. To the Chiefs' kingdom, you guys are world champions once again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Arrowhead Live Podcast Network. Go Chiefs!